Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. If you're visiting with us, welcome. We love the Bible, and so I'm going to be talking from the Bible. We've been doing a series about the Garden of Eden for several weeks now, and we're right at the end of it. This week, maybe the last, or maybe next week, we'll do one last one about the Garden of Eden. But I'm going to read a little passage from Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. You can follow in your Bible if you have it. If not, you can just listen. I'm using the New King James Version, but we don't believe it's the only version. There's lots of versions. You know, we're very blessed to have lots of versions, so you can read in several different translations, and you get a really good idea of what the original uh, Hebrew said. So, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. Remember, he'd made Adam, and he'd created him out of the mud, and he'd breathed life into his nostrils, and Adam had come alive, and the first thing he saw was God in front of him, an amazing experience for him, life and then this relationship with God. And then he looked around and he saw this garden and this beauty and God gave him a, a mandate, a job, a purpose. He'd go and fill the whole earth with this beauty of this garden. And there was this excitement and this great thing going on and there were lots of animals all around. But it says that it was not good that man was alone. And this is quite a shocking statement because up until now every single thing God's made he says it is good it is good it is good and then suddenly God says it is not good it's like what it's not good and because it's such a, a, a stark phrase it is not good we need to sit up and take notice friends it is not good for human beings to be alone God did not make you to be isolated Amen. He did not make you and I to be islands. We cannot survive alone. We need the interaction. No person has all the knowledge and the input they need. Everyone needs everybody else. And we need the, the friendship. We need the support. We need others to say, I love you. I accept you. Later on, it says that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. There's supposed to be within us this ability to show, I'm not talking about physical nakedness, I'm talking about to show our, our real selves to somebody else and the other person to say, I accept you as you are. You need that. If you don't think you need it, I'm telling you now, you are not in touch with reality. You and I need other people. Amen. Amen. But like everything in the Garden of Eden, the original plan of relationships has become perverted and twisted and damaged. And so now, when we look at relationships, there is almost never a true naked and unashamed relationship. There is always a hiddenness. You know, I'm, I'm getting into the social media thing. I wonder how many of you here use Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, all these different things. But the thing I'm noticing is that it's supposed to be about relationships. It's supposed to be about bringing us closer. But everybody is guarded in what they show. So we'll write a little status had a great day today with my buddies and then we'll edit it five times so that we get the words just right so that we're not showing naked and unashamed we're showing just the image we want people to see amen and then we'll take a photo a lovely time with my buddies having lunch 
and we make it look exactly as we want it and we'll put filters on the photo to make us look better than we really are. You know what a filter is? It's a fig leaf that we're putting to say, I'm not naked and unashamed, I'm hiding something. Amen? And our profile picture is from 10 years ago when we looked great and we were 20 pounds lighter. How many relationships are there where we can say, guys, this is me, warts and all, and the person says, I love you as you are. I know you've got faults, but I love you. That's, that's what we need. Amen? So, sorry, I got sidetracked there. I was reading the verse. <laughs> and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. God says, I'm going to sort the problem out. Friends, God has a plan for you and I to have healthy, happy relationships. And later on, it's about a husband and wife. But it's not just husband and wife. It's friends. It's colleagues. It's church family members. It's all the different spectrum of relationships. God says, I have a plan to make relationships work for you. And I want to say to the people here who are single and who don't want to be single... You know, I've often said in church, if you can find a promise from God and claim it and hold on to it and say, God, I'm trusting you for this promise. That becomes like your promised land, which you, you repeat all the time. Say, God wants me to have this. Find a promise. This is a promise for you where God said it is not good for you to be alone. I will make a helper for you. That's a promise for you that God wants you to find the right spouse for you. Claim it. Don't just, don't just say, oh, well, I'll see what happens. Claim it. Say, God, I want the spouse that you want for me. Not the spouse that Match.com wants for me. The one that God wants. Amen? You know, God made you and he made somebody else. And he's been watching you through your life and seeing all the ups and downs and mistakes and their mistakes. And he says... This is, this is a weird thing. It might blow your mind. He says, I've got the exact right person who might bash up against you and rub you the wrong way, but it'll be for your good. Not the perfect person, but the perfect person for you where you are right now. And you'll both be imperfect with faults and all sorts of issues. But God says, when I bring you together, it won't always be easy, but it will be the plan that I have for you to make you a better person coupled together than you could have been apart. And you'll be able to do great things for me and ministry, using all the faults and mistakes in your life, but together you'll be able to do it. If you do things my way, you see, he says, I will make a helper. Often we say, I will solve my relationship problems. I'll go to this nightclub or I'll go to this place or I'll, I'll pretend to be something I'm not to try and get the spouse or the friend or the whatever that I, that I need. God says, I have a way. Trust me. I will make a helper. Comparable or suitable for him. Just the right one. Comparable. Comparable, this word means like but opposite. There's enough similarity but there's enough difference. Amen. I'm going to be talking a lot about husbands and wives, but there's also other applications. Let me just read you something about how men and women are different. Is that okay? I got it off the internet. Must be true. Her diary. 
The Woman's Diary. Tonight, I thought he was acting weird. We'd made plans to meet at a bar to have a drink. I was shopping with my friends all day long, so I thought he was upset at the fact that I was a bit late, but he made no comment. Conversation wasn't flowing, so I suggested that we go somewhere quiet so that we could talk. He agreed, but he kept quiet and absent. I asked him what was wrong. He said nothing. I asked him if it was my fault that he was upset. He said it had nothing to do with me and not to worry. On the way home, I told him that I loved him. He simply smiled and kept driving. I can't explain his behavior. I don't know why he didn't say I love you too. When we got home, I felt as if I'd lost him, as if he wanted nothing to do with me anymore. He just sat there and watched TV. He seemed distant and absent. Finally, I decided to go to bed and he came to bed a bit later, but I still felt like he was distracted and his thoughts were somewhere else. He fell asleep and I cried. I don't know what to do. I'm sure that his thoughts are with someone else and my life is a disaster. His diary. My motorcycle won't start and I can't figure it out. Someone has said that for a man to try and understand a woman is like trying to figure out what color the letter seven smells like. And yet, there's something that connects us. We're so different, and yet God puts us together. Let me read on. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Adam gave names to all the cattle, birds, beasts. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. I want you to just understand the situation that Adam's in. He has a relationship with God. Maybe you can tick these off in your own life. Yes, I have a relationship with God. He has a job. God says, name all the animals and extend the garden. Yes, he's got a job. He's got everything he needs, and he's doing all the right things, and he's busy, and he's active. He's, you know, for us today, it's like I've, I've got a gym membership, and I'm part of this club, and I've got a job, and I've got friends, and... But deep down inside, there's still something that says, there's something missing. I don't have that close friend, relationship, partner, spouse. There's something missing. Friend, that's not the devil telling you that. God put that in us. That need, that desire is from God. But God doesn't leave us with just a need. He solves the problem. Verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept... And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they will become one flesh. And they were both naked the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. I want to just talk about this idea of covenant. Um, you know, it says that the man, because of all of this, a man will leave his father and mother, will be joined to his wife, and then they will become one flesh. There's a process there that is important for us to understand. Again, I'm talking about marriage and courtship but there is an application for friendship, for church, for everything else. Leave father and mother, 
means there has to be a separation. When there's going to be a very good, close relationship, other relationships have to be reduced. Now, I know this doesn't sound good, and it's not a popular idea, but I want to say to you that when you're going to gain something great, something else must be reduced when it comes to relationships. And it's good, and it's healthy. If you're going to have a very good, close friendship, other friends, you can still be friends, but there is going to be a loyalty of time and of affection and of commitment to the good friend that means some things will not be done with those other things, with those other friends. In a husband and wife, there are choices. You have to give up the other girlfriends, amen? Yes. <laughs> you have to say, my father or mother no longer tells me what to do. We're making a separate family unit. There's got to be, there's a healthy pulling away from some so that I can be committed to the other. And it's not, it's not a horrible pulling away. It's just saying, I love you, I, I respect you, I'm still your child or your friend or whatever it is, perhaps another church. I, I still love my friends in another church, but I'm committing to this place, this church, this vision, and I will love you and, and help you as much as I can, but this is where my primary commitment is leave. The second part is to be joined. And this word joined in the Old Testament Hebrew means glued together. And in the New Testament Greek, it means glued together. It's very rare to find a word that in the Hebrew and the Greek both mean the same thing um, when they're translated into English. And in both Old Testament and New Testament, this word joined means glued together. The picture is of two pieces of paper being joined by glue so that they're now one piece and you can't pull them apart without tearing both of them. They now, they've become one, that word joined. And I want to look at that a little bit today. So a man will leave. There's a loyalty to this new. There's a separation from the old. He will be joined. That's a covenant word, which I'm going to look at today. And then the last part is the two will become one flesh, which is talking about sexual intimacy. Now, these days, we go for the physical attraction first. The joined may or may not happen, and we haven't really cut off ties with previous relationships. And as a result, you've got all these bits of paper that are partially stuck, and then they're ripped apart. And there's a new partial sticking and ripped apart and a new partial sticking and ripped apart. And you've got people who are not whole, complete people trying to form relationships with other people who are also not whole, complete people and who still have ties in their hearts with previous boyfriends, girlfriends, other relationships. And it just becomes a painful experience. I want to say to you, you can be forgiven and cleansed of that, and you can start again today, but there's a way of doing it. We leave the past. We say, Lord, I'm sorry for sinful relationships, and even good relationships, I, I reduce those. Lord, I'm going to be joined in covenant to this new person, and only then, only after there's those first two, do we have a sexual relationship, because then it is healthy. If I do it in any other order... It's a, it's a corruption of what God originally planned. And we see the damage. I mean, I've read some statistics of uh, psychological issues, emotional problems, suicides, physical diseases that come through relationships and sexual practices that are different to what God designed. 
It is shocking. You won't read them easily. You have to search for them on the internet. But they're there. You can find reports from psychologists. So people who live outside God's plan for marriage and, and sex, the, the effects on them emotionally and physically are horrendous. Life expectancy goes down dramatically, sometimes as much as 20 years reduction in life expectancy from living in different sexual lifestyles. Um, the suicide rate, the uh, emotional depression, all these different issues. Why? Because God designed us in a way to have unity, but we've changed it all around and we think it's going to be okay. So what is this joined word? I'm going to go quickly now. And I'm going to show you that it's not just husbands and wives. It can be friends. Well, let's start with husbands and wives. So Malachi chapter 2. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. He says, God says in verse 13, God does not regard your offerings anymore and receive with goodwill from your hands. You say, for what reason? says, because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion, your wife by covenant. And that word covenant is important. Verse 15, but did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? Because he seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let no one deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. This verse is saying, when a husband and wife come together in covenant, that's that joined word. Remember, leave, be joined, and then one flesh sex. That joined word is covenant. It's a word that's different from any earthly word. We have contract where two people make an agreement. They sign a piece of paper. They say, the laws of Jersey govern this contract. You'll do this. I'll do that. And if we don't do this, then this will happen. That's an earthly contract. But covenant is different. It doesn't depend on the laws of the country. It depends on God's power and God's laws. And it's basically saying, I will do this and you will do this. But then we say, God, would you come and make this covenant supernatural? Will you join us? And that's why he says, a husband and wife are joined in the spirit. Something happens when we make a covenant with somebody else where we get joined, not just body, not just spending our time together, not just sharing a bank account, but spiritually we become one. And that's why when you have lots of boyfriends and girlfriends and you kiss and you cuddle and you do all these things and then you try and get married, you wonder, why am I struggling with intimacy? Because I've joined myself to some degree to a whole lot of people. And God says, join to one only. But the good news is we can be forgiven of all that today in Jesus. So that's husband and wife. Let me show you another one in 1 Samuel verse 18, where it's talking about uh, not just husbands and wives, but friends making a covenant with one another. 1 Samuel 18, talking about David and Jonathan, King David and his friend Jonathan. It says, now, when he had finished speaking with Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Verse 3, then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul, you see this? Their souls are knit together. They've made a covenant. In other words, they've said our friendship is not just an earthly friendship. We're getting God involved in this. And God says, I'll knit your souls together. 
And then in verse 4, it describes what a covenant means. It says, And Jonathan took the robe that was on him and gave it to David, his armor, his sword, his bow, and his belt. It basically means everything I have, all my wealth and all my power and all my strength is yours and yours is mine. We swap resources and we say, I will look after you and you will look after me. Everything I have is yours, etc. And later when Jonathan had died, David looked after his crippled son called Mephibosheth and took him into his home and he ate at his table every day for the rest of his life because they'd made a covenant. Everything I have is yours, everything you have is mine. Are you seeing the power of covenant? Now what this says is that for a, a relationship to be strong, it's not just an earthly thing. I leave, I'm saying I'm loyal to you in this relationship. I, I'm committed to you. I'm joined in covenant. I'm saying, Lord, I want to be committed to this person. Would you come and knit our souls together? And if it's a husband and wife, then there's a sexual relationship. If it's not a husband and wife, then it's a sharing of resources. It's a sharing of strength and power and commitment. I'll look after your children if you die. Uh, there's there's a, a commitment to one another. That's a covenant. And what happens is when we make a covenant, the power of God floods in. I'm going to close with one more story. It's from Joshua chapter 9, just to show you the power of a covenant. You see, because some people say, I didn't do it right. I met my husband or wife when I was drunk in a bar. And he was looking a lot better than he does now, and she was looking a lot different than she does now. I read a story about a man who divorced his wife because when he woke up after the after their wedding and he saw her without makeup for the first time he said this is not the woman i married and so he divorced her but let, let's just read here so verse 3 of joshua 9 when the inhabitants of gibeon heard what joshua had done to jericho and ai they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors and they took old sacks on their donkeys old wineskins torn and mended old and patched sandals on their feet, old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. What are they playing at? And they went to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. So these men were living in the promised land. They knew Joshua was going to wipe them out. So they pretended to be from far away. They really put on a, book, a big show and pretended well. And they said, Joshua, make a covenant with us so you won't destroy us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said, where, who are you and where do you come from? They said, from a very far country and your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, take your provisions, go and meet them. Say, we are your servants, make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed. But now look, it's dry and moldy. And these wineskins we filled were new and see now they're torn and our garments and our sandals have become old because of this very long journey. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. So get this picture. 
The Gibeonites come, they trick the Israelites, they say, make a covenant with us. Remember what a covenant is. It's not an earthly contract. It's something more. It's something supernatural. It's saying, God, I want my relationship to be under your blessing with your power and for you to come and make us one in the spirit and in soul. They made a covenant with the Gibeonites under deception. The Gibeonites tricked them. Friend, maybe you're married here. And maybe you say it's been 10 years. You don't know what my husband's done. You don't know what my wife's done. You don't know how she's tricked, deceived me. You don't know about the sins and the errors. We're not compatible anymore. You know what happened here? The very next chapter, Joshua chapter 10, five kings gang up to attack the Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites shout out to Joshua and say, please come and help us. You made a covenant with us. Joshua goes to help, and the Lord gets involved in the fight. Hailstones start raining down out of heaven, and then because they haven't got enough daylight to finish the war, God stops the sun for 12 hours so that they can finish and protect the Gibeonites. Friend, you might feel like this marriage, from an earthly point of view, there's nothing left of it. You might feel like a relationship with another Christian, we, there's so much water under the bridge, we can't reconcile. I want to tell you, if there's a covenant, if you are joined in the Lord, if you've said, Lord, would you make this relationship work? He says, I'll stop the sun to make it work. And one more thing about this. In 2 Samuel 21, 430 years later, I need to read you this because I'm not sure you'll believe me. 430 years after this deceptive covenant was made. 2 Samuel 21. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he has killed the Gibeonites. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. But the children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal. Why am I reading that to you? A covenant is forever. 430 years later. Understand, this covenant was made in deception. The Gibeonites tricked the Israelites. God said, I will do, I'll move heaven and earth to protect it. And in 400 years' time, I will still be protecting and blessing this covenant. Now, let me make this very practical. First of all, friends, for you and I, as Christians, our relationships are not like the world's relationships. I've spoken so many times about how God has ways and rules for us to relate to one another which don't involve gossip and backbiting, which involve honesty, naked and unashamed. We come honestly to one another. We don't trick and pretend. We don't put on all sorts of masks and funny things. We are honest with each other and humble and say, you've offended me or I've offended you. What can we do? We've got to have godly ways of relating. Otherwise, we'll be just like Adam feeling alone. Or we can be in a crowd of people in a church and still feel alone if we don't do things God's way. Amen? But now I want to just close this. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17. Why is this so important? Why is relationships and especially marriage so important? For this very reason. 
in 1 Corinthians 6, he's talking about um, sexual immorality and how we shouldn't uh, be uniting our bodies with lots of different people, especially prostitutes. But then in verse 17, he says, but he who is joined, that's that word glued together, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. The whole reason this is so important is because when God said to Adam in the beginning, it is not good for man to be alone, he was expressing his own heart. God was saying, I don't want to be alone. I want a relationship with people. God wants a wife just like he made Adam alone and then he made a wife for him. God wants a people who will have a love, intimate relationship with him. And it's us, the church. And just as he put Adam to sleep and he cut open his side and there was surgery and pain and he took something out of Adam and then he sewed up the place again and there was a scar in Adam's side for the rest of his life. God put Jesus to sleep on the cross. A spear was plunged into his side. Blood came out and you and I, the church, were born. And God has always wanted a relationship with people, not rituals. Can you imagine if my wife came into the kitchen and I'm there working and she says, Oh, thou dear husband, today is Sunday and I will worship thee according to this liturgy. Can you imagine how weird that would be? I would look at her like she was bonkers. I would say, don't you remember we have a covenant? We married, we have a relationship, we love each other. She would say, hold on, I can't talk to you like this. I have to talk according to these words that I've written down. Thou art very great, my husband. I love thee so much. And yet, that is what much of the Christian world thinks of as a relationship with God. That is, that is ridiculous. God wants a living, breathing, intimate, passionate, emotional relationship with you and I. Where we love each other, we talk, we sometimes express anger or confusion or disappointment, but we love each other. And there are moments of intimacy and worship and rapture together. That is a relationship which God wants with us. But it says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17, if anyone is joined to the Lord, which means we've made a marriage covenant with him. We've come to him and we've said, Dear Lord, I love thee. And I will serve you and honor you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, for the rest of my life, forsaking all others until death brings us together. If we've said that covenant to God, he says, You are now joined to me and one spirit with me. We're not, it's not God's spirit and my spirit, we are one. And he's taken his armor and his belt and his bow and his sword and his cloak and his wealth and his power and his name and he's given it to us and he's taken our, taken our weakness for himself. That's what's happened. When you've become a Christian, a covenant has been formed between you and God and it is a relationship that will last forever. And heaven and earth will be moved to make it work. God will do everything to make it succeed. I do believe we can reject God and fall away, but it's not easy. The whole power of heaven is holding us in his hand, and it's very, very hard to get out of his hand. And that's the relationship that you and I have. Let's stand together, and I'm just going to ask you to recommit to God right now. Dear Lord God, please just think about these words and if you 
mean them, just pray them with me. Just say, dear Lord God, I agree it is not good for me to be alone. Lord God, I know that I have a need. I have a need for friendship and relationship, for intimacy and love. But God, my main need is with you, a relationship with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you made a way for me to be joined again to you. Thank you, God, that you died on the cross and shed your blood so that I can come into covenant with you today. And Lord God, I want to stand before you today, a marriage ceremony, and renew my vows to you and say, dear Lord God, I love you. I honor you. I put you first. I prioritize this relationship and I will love and honor and serve you for the rest of my life in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, richer or poorer, whatever it takes for the rest of my days, Lord. I'm yours. I'm committed to you. Please would you come and make me one spirit with you. Give me all of your power and take all of my weakness. And Lord, I will live for you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, I want to tell you, you may not feel it right now, but in the spirit, you are one with God. You are one with him. He's put all of his power on you. And he says, I want to now develop this relationship with you. And out of that now comes relationship with other people. Now we can say, Lord God, I need a human friend. I need a, a spouse. Please, Lord, would you lead me to the right person? I'll go about it your ways, Lord, not my own ways. I'll trust you. I'll, I'll do things the way that you've created me to do them. And I'll trust you, Lord, to bring me the right people and the right relationships. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.